0: Welcome to Kit Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. Welcome to episode number four of Transforming Worldviews. I hope by now you're getting kind of a concept here of how worldviews can impact our behavior. It's huge, really. In our last episode, in episode three, we looked at window number one, your purpose determines your mission. Then we looked at worldview window number two, your comfort determines your sacrifice. And we reviewed window number three, the worldview of your image determines your impact. Now in this episode number four, we're going to look at a couple of more of these windows. We'll look at number four and number five of the ten. And uh, as we look at this, we're going to think about how really powerful these two windows are. They're just really amazing. And the first one, window number four, is your desires determine your priorities. Now think about that. Your desires determine your priorities. We always do what we consider is important. We always do first whatever is our priorities. You know, life is complicated. We have all kinds of things to do. Every day goes by. It seems like time flies by and the years go by and it may be that Our priorities change, but if you're not doing what you think should be first, then you're a miserable person if you can't or won't or don't know how. It's like you have priority disconnect. You have a functional issue where you have a priority that is important to you, but it is not something you can get to. Even if it's a priority that's huge, like paying off your mortgage to your house, it's often the future. When you're younger, you take out a mortgage, and it's years down the road. But there's something very valuable and healthy when you eat away at that mortgage and continually move forward. If you get behind, or if you fall behind and you get threatened on that priority, then that is a huge disruption in your life. And so, these priorities are very important. Well, God has priorities, too. And uh, the church has priorities as God's mechanism to change the world. And so, that's really important as well. So, in window number four, your desires determine your priorities. In my book, Who Broke My Church?, uh, we listed the uh, five elements of the kingdom of God. Uh, When you, when you boil down all of the things that Jesus taught, you know, a lot of times he taught by beginning with the words, the kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like that. It's just profound teaching And if you put them together and you sort of organize them into categories, there are basically five categories that make people who belong to the kingdom of God different from people who are not part of the kingdom of God. And Jesus very clearly said, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not like this world at all. It's supposed to be different. So church isn't supposed to look like the local club of uh, people gathering together. It's not like the garden club. It's not like other groups of people that aren't driven by God's word. It's supposed to be different, very different. And uh, these five areas describe that. And as we look at these five areas that I describe in the book, Who Broke My Church? The first one is values. Those are things that we think are important. The second is beliefs, those things that we believe are truth. The third one is attitudes, that's our posture toward God, our posture toward others, our posture toward the world, how we are postured toward all the other things in our universe. And the fourth of these five is priorities, Uh, and so this particular window of uh, these windows, these 10 windows, is your desires determine your priorities. And just to round out the five that really summarize the kingdom of God as Jesus teaches it, is your worldviews. And these 10 worldviews are really a part of that. But priorities are by themselves one of the five areas of the kingdom culture because they're just so very important it's what you will always do first, what you think is most important. Or if you think some things are most important, but you never put them first, are they really your priorities? Or do you have some roadblocks in your life that keep you from those priorities? And when there are roadblocks from those priorities that are kingdom priorities, we talk about those as suffering from kingdom culture drift. We are drifting from kingdom culture. Then that can be very subtle. It can be very soft and subtle in our lives that we drift away from kingdom priorities. And uh, one day we wake up and say, "Wow, whatever happened that I drifted that far from the priorities of God's kingdom?" Because the enemy is very subtle and soft in incrementally moving us away from what God would want us to do. And quite frankly, in the kingdom of God work of a church, it's very easy. What happens in a church? Pastors are bombarded by people coming up to them and saying, I've got a really good idea of something we could do at our church. Now, pastors don't like to make anybody mad, and pastors love people, good pastors do anyway, and they, they're, they're people that don't like to say no, unless, you know, it's, it's a criminal thing or something that's non-Christian or anti-Christian. They're, they're going to, you know, they're going to acquiesce to a lot of things, and then what happens over time is churches gather a lot of baggage that really aren't priorities of the purpose of the church. So, this window is very important. Your desires determine your priorities. So, what that means is that if you've got a bunch of things that are priorities that have turned the mission of your church into a country club, as we discussed before, or if you just are not mission effective because people are busy and worn out doing all these things that non-Christians can do, but they don't bring people closer to God, then you've lost some of the essence of what it means to be the church. And it's tough because you fight this every day. And even though pastors and church leaders don't like to say no to enthusiastic ideas, sometimes those ideas are brought by people who well, aren't necessarily astute students or mature disciples of the kingdom of God. There are a lot of good things that you can do in a church, but a lot of those things aren't also God things. They're good things, but they could be done by Muslims. In fact, they are some of those things done by Muslims. Some of the things churches do that think that they're godly things are things that are not unique to the kingdom of God at all. There are things that humanitarians can do, people that just love the humanitarian group of people, but they're not necessarily God things. And the God things are so precious and so unique and so different that we get out of our niche as a church and the one area of uniqueness we have, and that is the salvation of lost people. Now, you can do, if you are clear about your priorities, you can do things that are humanitarian, help to people, that also open up doors to introduce them to Jesus. But the truth is, a lot of churches end up doing all kinds of things that are good things to do and could open up doors, but they never engineer those things so that they do lead to bringing people to Christ for eternity. The one uniqueness that we have as Christians. The marching orders that Jesus gave. He died on the cross so people could go to heaven. End of story. That's it. So, this is a big deal. This issue of your desires determine your priorities. And desires sneak into the church left and right all the time, almost every day. And the busyness cripples the church from the priorities Jesus had and gave to the church. So there are those churches where leaders in the church are really clear about the priority of reaching the lost. But then they get pushback from people. They get things like, hey, Our church should do more for its own members. seems like we're more interested, or the pastor's more interested, or the staff's more interested, or some of these people are more interested than outsiders than they are in us. They should take our interests into concern more often. What is this? Well, this is the very classic tension between mission and maintenance or the classic tension between what are good things to do and what are those things that no one else in the world but Christians can do, the God things. So, in our research, we ask people, what is the mission of the church? Now, you'll remember when we talked about the Great Commission, that was the question, what do you see as the purpose of the church? Now, to tweak this a little bit and to get into this realm of priorities, We just used a different word. What is the mission of the church? You know what mission is. It means to go somewhere and do something. And 33%, the largest single category of responses of people say that the mission of the church is to share God's love with each other. Now, half of that is right and half of that is profound, but the other half is fellowship. And that's what we're really getting at here, is to share God's love with each other is a nice thing to do, but it's not the mission of the church, because the word mission comes from the Latin word. The first combined Bible was translated into Latin because the Roman church, the church at Rome, which is now the Catholic church, came out with the language, the the Bible in their language, Latin and so the word missio is the word translated in a mission that still hangs around today in that form and that word missio is the word send or sent which is related to the word go in the purpose of the church the great commission go you're sent you're missionaries you're mission people you're mission minded you're on a mission all the time 24-7, you're a mission person as a Christian, but 33% of the peoples say that it's sharing God's love with one another, which is the fellowship concept. If fellowship becomes the mission of the church, there's a challenge because we're not going to reach lost people by sharing God's love with each other. Fellowship is good. It's a wonderful thing. You know, I love the fellowship at my church, where I go to church. I mean, these people know I'm not perfect. They know that I make mistakes like they do, like everybody does. But you know what? I'm loved anyway. You know, we had a guy in our church who got off track seriously. He was on the Internet, and he had a young girl. At least he thought it was a young girl. was actually an undercover cop on the internet and there were some conversations back and forth and at the time he was having some trouble with his wife and he got into a place where christians should never go and he said some things back and forth with this young girl and he agreed to meet her in a park now some of the things she said could be read as being sexual which would be illegal and immoral misconduct on his part. But part of it was he could have just been humanitarianly as a Christian trying to help this girl. And no one knows because no one's going to judge him. Only God will do that. But when he went to meet this girl, he was met by undercover policemen and ultimately went to jail. Now, he was on staff at our church and taught young kids. Well, he was never going to teach again, and he was going to go to jail. But that left his wife and family without a breadwinner. And I wondered, how is our church going to respond to that? Well, what we call our fellowship... (laughs) Which is not our mission, but should be our mission also to reach out even to those who are hurting or hurt or troubled or have made grave sins and mistakes. Our church stood up for this guy to get him counseling, even though he was going to jail. And he did have to go to a jail for a while. But they came behind that family and him. Nobody wrote him off because his sin happened to be one that would put him in jail, where some of our sins have eternal consequences, but if they're unforgiven, but don't put us in jail. But our congregation showed love and respect to him in a way that was couched by forgiveness. They didn't respect the sin, but they love the sinner. There's a big difference between fellowship as navel-gazing and the fellowship in mission to even one of our own. So look at the bigger church, your bigger church, the big picture of your church. Look at your budget. How much is for our comfort, you know, carpeting, pad the pews, nice chairs, whatever you have, redecorate, whatever. How much is for the maintenance of your church and the comfort of your people? And how much is for mission? You see, the key to this worldview, this worldview number four, your desires determine your priorities. You see, those priorities reflect your passions, your desires. So, are they for mission or maintenance? If you look at your budget, dollars don't mean everything, and we can't get into them making everything, but they do have some evidence of where our priorities are. So, as we look at these desires that turn into priorities, Sometimes in terms of our budget, it shows what our priorities are and whether it's for us or for mission, for others. So look at your budget and just say, okay, divide it out. What percentage goes where? It's a pretty tough read for most people. It's kind of a wake-up call about this window, this perspective, this worldview, Look at your meeting agendas. When people meet, the leaders, when they discuss whatever they discuss, how much of their effort goes into items that are designated toward mission? Or how much of it is focused on running the ship, keeping things going, maintenance stuff? It's really interesting about the whole issue of priorities. And when you put that as a a scale upon the church and a measurement. Uh, This worldview is really important, and it's important for each of us individually. It was President Dwight D. Eisenhower who said, take first things first. Now, that's talking about priorities. Take first things first, he said. That process often reduces the most complex human problems to manageable proportions. So what if you took that over into the church? Take first things first. That process often reduces the most complex challenges the church faces and puts them into manageable proportions. And we discover this window of your desires determine your priorities. What are your desires? Well, it's pretty clear. Jesus made it clear. I mean, it doesn't get much more blunt than this. Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all this other stuff will be given to you as well. Matthew 6, 31 to 33 from the message version. What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax, to not be so preoccupied with getting, getting stuff, getting things, so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know about God and the way he works fuss over things. I'm going to read that again. People who don't know about God and the way he works fuss over these things but you know both god and you know the way he works <laughs> which means you know his priorities steep your life jesus says in god reality god initiative god provisions don't worry about missing out you'll find all your everyday concerns will be met. Matthew 6, 31, 33. Well, window number four, your desires determine your priorities. Let's go to window number five. It's close. Your blessings determine your giving. Now, this is one of my favorite. I've been a lifelong student of Financial giving, uh, giving of our time, talents, treasures, you know, all that stuff we always talk about, giving back to God, and how you really can't outgive God, but if you're focused on the return, it doesn't work. <laughs> it's really great. It's a little complex, but you know you can't outgive God, that He's always going to give you back more than you give to Him. But if you give Him more for the sake of getting that, and that's really your motive, it doesn't work because you have the wrong motive and God can read your heart. Boy, that is a little bit complex, isn't it? Window number five your blessings determine your giving. In other words, what you have determines your giving. It's interesting because we use the word stewardship. I love that word because a steward, and this is from the old King James English, is really the sty ward. The ward the guy that managed the sty what's a sty a pig sty <laughs> it's is the person who looked over the pigs and managed them you know fed them and cleaned cleaned up after them and stuff like that very interesting use of words translated from the greek word that we get into english called steward it's like being a manager of all that God gives you. Interesting story I heard once. A man was about to be baptized in a river. Suddenly, he ran back out of the water before he could be baptized, explaining that he had forgotten to give his wallet to his wife. He didn't want his wallet to get wet. And the preacher yelled to him, come back with your wallet. I've got too many unbaptized wallets in my congregation already. (laughs) I love that story. I read it years ago. Really, we think about the whole idea of stewardship, financial giving or whatever kind of giving as an economic issue, but it really isn't. It's a worldview issue. It's how we understand the kingdom of God and how that kingdom of God is supposed to work. It's all about raising people, not money. I remember I heard a quote from a man, wonderful man by the name of John Herman, uh, lived a number of years ago. He said, stewardship is really raising people, not money. To raise money is, that's being a pickpocket. Raising people, yeah, that's the Lord's work. Very interesting way to put it, isn't it? I have a friend, Waldo Werning. He's gone to be with the Lord now, but great guy. He wrote a book, and in it, he said, People give as they know and believe, not as they are able. You know, I know a multimillionaire in Illinois. We kind of became friends, and I visited his mansion many times. I mean, the guy's loaded, really a lot of money. And what's really interesting is that he gives lots of money to God's causes. But in truth, when my mother was living, actually in God's eyes, this widow who actually my wife and I were helping her pay off her mortgage because she was widowed and didn't have the money to make the payments, she actually gave more to God than that millionaire. Not in dollars, but in the way God measures it by percentage. Yeah, he was giving hundreds of thousands of dollars, but the percentage was minimal next to what my mom gave. I just thought that was interesting, and that's the way God looks at it. He never looks at dollars or pesos or whatever the form of money we use. He looks at The percentage. You know the story of the widow's mite, which is basically a penny. She gave all she had. The purpose of that story, she gave all that she had. It was a worldview. She was trusting God, and she had commitment. That's what giving is all about. That's what this window number five is all about. Your blessings determine your giving. It's the percentage you give, not the amount. That surprises a lot of people, doesn't it? You know, I can't tell you how much the lack of resources hinder ministry. Uh, At Church Doctor Ministries, we have never charged for all the mission trips we do to people that couldn't afford it in other countries. We have never charged the total amount that it costs for us to serve the churches that we serve. So we have to raise money. But The other part of our ministry is that we do a lot of research and development, more than anybody else. That's why we're always so fresh and so cutting edge on what the church needs at different times in history, our history of the ministry. But it always has been a challenge because we never really raise enough money for the research and development that we do. Hundreds and hundreds, thousands of hours that go into writing a book and making it really useful for people. But, you know, that's also true in churches, the hindrance of money. But, you know, the key, the way you approach giving is the real issue. It's really not what you give, but how you approach giving. In the Bible, it's called proportionate giving or percentage giving. Give as the Lord has given to you. Proportionate giving has greater impact than picking some economic level. So, in our surveys with people, we ask people, when you uh, choose to give financially to your church, to the mission of your church, do you pick an amount or do you consider it to be a percentage of what God gives to you? Guess what we discovered? 66%, two-thirds of the people in churches all over this country, and our whole study of this, do not give proportionately. Two-thirds only one out of three people understand by giving a percentage. And here's the challenge of that, that when you give year after year and you are start out young and you start growing in your earning power like most people do if they don't make a mistake or have problems or whatever, you grow in your earning power, your income goes up and your wealth goes up. And so if each year you approach giving of the new year to your church as, well, what did we give last year? Okay, X, Y, Z, number of dollars per week. Well, let's add a couple of dollars. And you do that year after year after year, and you do that for, let's say, 20 years. If you were to take the percentage of what you give 20 years later, you actually, in the way God looks at it, proportionately, percentage-wise, you actually give less even though it's more dollars. And that doesn't bless God and his kingdom, and God doesn't bless you. So, a great way to counsel people, if you're short on cash, don't challenge people to give more to help make the budget. Teach them to look at it as a percentage. Give from what God has given you. That's proportionate giving. So window number five, your blessings determine your giving. Give from what God has given you. And that's the end of episode number four. And our two windows that we looked at this time, your desires determine your priorities. And then right on the heels of that, window number five, your blessings determine your giving. I look forward to joining you again for episode number five. You have been listening to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor presented by Church Doctor Ministries. If you've liked this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to hear future episodes. Check out Kent Hunter's new book, Who Broke My Church? Seven Proven Strategies for Renewal and Revival available now wherever books are sold.